NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. So happy new year, everyone. It's 2021. And who would have predicted that this show, The Right Time, would have this special guest at exactly the right time? Mm-hmm. When so many, of us, so many of us are looking forward to a framework and some ideas for the upcoming semester, for most of us, 2020 was quite the year. And despite all the challenges and the craziness, one thing became very clear. It takes focused, dedicated, passionate educators like so many we know across our network and beyond. We want the best for kids, all kids. Since the beginning, the goal for the right time has been to bring teachers and writers together to discuss books, ideas, and writing, all as a resource for the work. Today's show, however, is kind of extra special because we are providing listeners an instructional interlude. In fact, so I'm a sticker-centered educator, and I'm afraid to admit how many stickers I have in my house. And I walk around workshop, and I see kids doing good work, and I put a sticker here and a sticker here. If you're a teacher, I'll put a sticker in your notebook, too. And, of course, we always love the gold star. I have a New Year's resolution, and it is to start awarding goldie stars, to take a gold star and put it in the notebook whenever I see a kid or an educator cultivating genius within a culturally and historically responsive literacy framework. I'm doing this so I can name the excellence she has provided all of us. I'm Brian Ripley Crandall, and it is my pleasure and pride to co-host with Tanya Baker, Director of National Programs for the National Writing Project. Um, Tanya, I have not seen you since the new year began. I can't believe it. How, how are things going on the West Coast? Uh, well, you know, I can't complain, and sometimes I still do, but we are healthy and well and doing amazing writing project work with people all over the country, no matter how things are in their backyard, they are rising to the challenges and um, with a lot of joy at working at the opportunities to work together and learn together. So what am I going to say? It's been a crazy year. And well, last year was a crazy year when we started this right time. And this year has gotten off to a crazy start. And I couldn't think of three people I'd rather spend an hour with this afternoon talk about how to face the challenges that we have together. So my soul is leaping out of my chest right now, out of my body, to be able to introduce Dr. Goldie Muhammad. When I read Cultivating Genius last spring, I teared up because it is a book that teachers have needed for numerous years, but it wasn't written yet. In my own work, I often credit Dr. Alfred Tatum for advising me one day with three words. Don't go ahistorical. It was at the LRA conference, and and I was presenting my ideas to him, and that's what he said. Don't go ahistorical. So he helped me to see the importance of documenting history, especially when promoting stories too often neglected, too often forgotten, and too often silenced. This is why Goldie's scholarship and practitioner work, this book, matters most. Her name is Golnaskar, which means the sharing of flowers, and everything she does is a sharing of flowers with others. So here's the formal biography. Dr. Golnaskar Goldie Muhammad is an associate professor of language and literacy at Georgia State University. She also serves as the director of the GSU Urban Literacy Collaborative and Clinic. She studies Black historical excellence within education of communities with goals of reframing curriculum and instruction today. 
Dr. Muhammad's scholarship has appeared in leading educational journals and books. Some of her recognitions include the 2014 recipient of the NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English, Promising New Researcher Award. I was in the audience and so proud. The 2016 NCTE Janet Emig Award was there too, just a little <laughs> bit of a fanboy. The 2017 GSU Urban Education Research Award and the 2018 UIC College of Education Researcher of the Year. She works with teachers and young people across the United States and South Africa in best practices in culturally responsive instruction. She is the author of the best-selling book, Cultivating Genius, an Equity Model for Culturally and Historically Responsive Teaching. Sorry, Chris. Goldie gets introduced by Brian and you get introduced by me. <laughs> I did, though, uh, get so distracted with the idea of moving from 20 to 21 that I didn't say in the introduction that when Brian said we are going to introduce, we are going to um, have Goldie on the show, I said, well, I know the perfect educator, and that is Chris Rogers. And Chris, we're so glad that you are here to do the interview with Goldie today. I think it's going to be a perfect match and a great instructional interlude. Chris, I do want to introduce you. Chris was born and raised in Chester, Pennsylvania, and is now a PhD student with the, within the Reading Writing Literacy Program at Penn GSE. He has proudly offered much alongside and with the Philadelphia Writing Project and serves as public program director for the Paul Robeson House and Museum. This is a one-of-a-kind house museum dedicated to promoting and preserving the legacy of the cultural and political great forerunner. Chris's current research interest interrogates the intersections of race and place in community literacy efforts, investigating how sharing stories about place may cultivate community preservation and social action in Black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So beautiful, best work. Mm -hmm. He additionally serves as curriculum co-chair for the National Black Lives Matter at School, a coalition dedicated to expanding racial justice in education. You can read more about their year of purpose at Black Lives Matter at matter at school.com. Yeah, we we arranged this show many months ago and we're delighted to have both of you on. And we had no idea that that the conversation was gonna be, we knew it was important, but now we realize it's so important and our educators are just craving this conversation. And that's where we get to say, we get to leave. But before we leave, we think we know that Chris has a kickoff writing prompt that people can pause if they want to and write a little bit before we get into the show just to get their brains working. So Chris, I'm handing it to you. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for the invitation. Um, in terms of a, a, a writing prompt and really jumpstarting the conversation for um, today and for any educator who's listening to this, I think in revisiting Cultivating Genius, what really jumped out to me was this conversation around joy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in, in particular, recognizing the challenging or the ongoing challenges of racial legacies and inequities in our society today, um, I think it's important as we step into 2021 to think about joy and to meditate on joy. And while it's not always achievable, and I think there's even sometimes when there are other emotions that we need to engage beyond joy, I think it's important that we, in, like, set an attention and plan 
um, to how we may achieve joy within 2021. So the question is, is basically that, right? Or as a prompt, something you can think about personally, something you can also think about in your classrooms, um, something you can think about uh, with your community as well. And that is how do you intend to recognize and hold space for joy in 2021? I think it's about to happen for me right now. Exactly. So we're leading you two to have a conversation and my heart is thankful for you both. Yes, mm -hmm. thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Tanya. Yes. And thank you so much for that introduction. Um, I wouldn't, I have to start this conversation by saying um, I am a student of Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, yeah. is my advisor. Um, I, we've been following your work for a really long time, and, uh, accessing your scholarship for a really long time. And the Black Girls Literacy Collective is also like a huge North Star in terms of our community at Penn and the uh, work that we do with the reading, writing literacy program. So mm -hmm. I just like have to shout out how much of a fan I am of your work and how much cultivating genius, not only, um, it's one of those rare academic books where I hear about it from more teachers than I hear about it from people in grad school, which is such an amazing thing. That to... was the point. <laughs> no. That was the hope. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh it's brilliant in that fact, and we've numerous study groups, both Black Lives Matter at school and additional ones, have used this text at, at their center. So shout out to that. Our friend Okaikor, who uh, did another one out in New Jersey. Um, there's so many friends, so many different connections. Yeah, and I'm so glad you're working with Dr. Thomas. She's my big sister and one of my north stars. So <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um. And getting our conversation started today, and um, I know we're doing this through technology. I'm trying my best to kind of be present in the conversation and not just read off the script. But I, I did want to think um, as we begin to think about our own personal relationships with writing. And I, I don't think you can just talk about writing without even without also bringing in what what you are reading. But I would love to hear more about your personal relationship with writing. Where did that begin? Who are the influences that allowed to shape how you, um, how you write, how you think about writing, what you look to, what ideas and messages you look to put out into the world? Um, that's a beautiful question. Um, you know, and much like you alluded to, like my relationship with writing started with my relationship with reading. I think it was Tony. Uh, Kate, no, 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 it, it was Toni Morrison that said that there is a relationship between the two. Uh, it's a beautiful, intricate uh, relationship uh, between reading and writing. And so when I discovered books and texts and <laughs> reading my world, I, that came with writing. I wanted to write something down. Um, and I love to write stories. I used to write like my little poetry book when I was a little girl. And even my poems were like prose. <laughs> they were telling stories. And I would love to write short stories and poetry and letters to myself. Um, I started to do all these kind of like cool, amazing things I would make up. Like I have letters I've written to myself since I was a little girl. I have acceptance speeches <laughs> to made up awards. I would, I would write my acceptance speech. I'm not kidding. And some of the awards I end up getting later in life and some of them I'm still waiting. 
Um, but I would, that would like, I would just like love to write all sorts of things and connect it to my life. And I, I most importantly, I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to just from the beginning to the end, capture readers attention. And, 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 you know, I think I'm still like that as I got older with everything that I do. Um, and so I fell in love with stories. Yes. Uh, and I, that, um, that manifesting um, that you mentioned, it's also comes present to me when I think about Octavia Butler is also famous for that, for having a diary where she yeah. once wrote, like, I'm going to become a New York Times bestseller. Mm. Right? And then, you know, years later, manifest that energy out into the world. So I love the acceptance speeches and kind of speaks back to your bio of all the amazing awards. <laughs> well, and my awards were funny. It was like, uh, the community member award or the best friend award, like some of them were really funny. Like they weren't as official <laughs> of an awards, but you know, I think my best friend might give me the best friend award. So yes, yes, and um, I think that that's an amazing start. And I think so much of what we do as educators is, you know, um, modeling the joy and the the. Um, the life that we find in writing and learning um, to uh, the people that we come in, the younger people that we come in contact with. And this kind of gets um, toward my next question, which is, um, and the really the line that I'm following here is really about like teaching writing in the classroom and like the, the, the messiness of it, but also the trajectory, how we think about like a North Star, right? And the North Star means so much in terms of like black historical uh, legacies that we can talk, but let me not go on a tangent, but his history is also important. Um, so um, what, when, and cultivating genius really, really focuses on this a lot, but the values that are inherent to like teaching writing in, to, in, in a classroom, what are, what are the values that you feel should be present within any sort of like classroom space when it comes to teaching writing? You know, I, I think when I was a grad student at UIC, um, after my first year, I, I started to run this program that became Black Girls Write. Uh, write stands for writing to represent our identities, our times, and our excellence. And for five weeks, for three days uh, a, a week, three hours per day, we would come together to write, to define who we are, who we're not, who we wanted to be. We wrote to um, resist the things that were false and wrong in the world. And we wrote toward social change and agency and love and all these things. And, you know, I, at the same time, I was studying these Black literary societies, which were these writing clubs and these uh, literacy groups and debating societies and lyceums and salons and all that. And I studied them so much that I wanted Black girls' right to mimic these spaces from 1828, you know, to 2010. I wanted them to uh, reflect. I wondered, like, what happens when we put girls today in a historical context? Uh, that is responsive to their history and their lineage, how will they show up with their pens? 
And so when I think about values and what I see as worthwhile to be considered for teaching writing, especially for classroom teachers, I go back to everything I learned from Black literary societies. You know, things like writing being a collaborative act. Individual writing happened, but collaboration happened. Uh, writing being connected to abolition, uh, abolitionist efforts. Like, we didn't write historically just to enjoy uh, um, language. We did that, <laughs> and it was a lot of joy in language. But we also had like these pursuits toward a better humanity and a better world. We, they had uninterrupted writing time, all these kind of time writing, you got 15 minutes to write a whole essay. Like what happens when our children can just unapologetically write and uninterrupted? They didn't use prompts. You know, we value writing prompts so much, but it was like promptless. The world was the prompt. Um, and, and it all started with like these ideas around identity and self um, and, and trying to use their pen in powerful ways to figure stuff out, including to write and document our genius and when the world did not document it or um, speak of it. And so I noticed that there was sisterhood and brotherhood with the pen. You know, all these different things, the context was full of books and libraries. So while they were writing um, and when they spent their money, like on membership dues, all their money or most of their money went to books and, and newspapers and their libraries. So all of these things felt like a value to me to uh, when I teach classrooms, like K-12 writing in classrooms. And then when I teach in the summer, uh, with black girls with writing. I mean, I want them to sort of experience those same um, elements that uh, their ancestors experienced. And then when I did that, something beautiful and magical happened. <laughs> and I guarantee you for teachers, when you, when you release all these other things, and, 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 and develop a community of writers. Because we didn't talk about, I mean, the girls were like 11 to 18 sometimes. We didn't talk about degrees, um, GPAs, grade levels, PhDs. We were just a community of girls writing. <laughs> and writing is what's the great equalizer because it didn't matter if you were 16 or you had your PhD. In that space, the writing is what held up everybody, <laughs> you know? So I would put my writing next to a 15 year old and you couldn't tell like who would have the PhD and who didn't, you know? And that's what it, everything that the girls wrote, I wrote with them, they critiqued my writing. And I learned all of this from black history. Uh, that's what they would do. It was not this, I'm the teacher, you're the student writer, you know? I tell teachers, you gotta write with your students, anything. And if you don't wanna write it, then don't assign it. <laughs> That's a good point. So all these things that I value, um, they come from our people, our history as the roadmap to really helping uh, English and language arts and writing teachers to, to, to really just have some very purposeful writing spaces in their classes. Yes. <laughs> Um, thank you. Thank you. 
um, I wrote, the world was the prompt. I, I think I'm, I'm holding that for another space in the conversation. But I think, you know, I want to follow up on, you mentioned the importance of history. Mm -hmm. um, and I know so uh, much of your scholarship is really built on like being with the archive, right? And, and reading the stories of, of Black excellence across generations. And I think, you know, sometimes I don't, I'm not sure that everyone gets the pleasure of understanding what it means to pour over the history and, and see the contributions across generations and see the stories of agency and resistance uh, come together over time. So wh where did you begin to fall in love with history and what do like educators um, need to know or even like students, what, what can be found in the historical archive that is important and timely for today? You know, what can't be found? <laughs> Everything is there. You know, I have two mothers. One of them is a historian. And she reminds me that everything, no matter what the question, can be answered and understood through history. You know, if it was up to me, every teacher candidate, anyone who wanted to be a teacher, will get their degrees, will have to get endorsements, a concentration, or the whole degree in both literacy and history. They're so beautiful in helping us to teach everything. Mathematics teachers need to understand and teach history. Science, ELA, of course, social studies. And so knowing the importance of history and, and thinking about many African traditions and of looking back in order to go forward. You know, as a black woman today, uh, and for many African-Americans, we cannot go for without looking back due to our history in this country. You cannot understand anything without going back. It's imperative. It's almost like we don't have a choice. And if the choice is not to understand history, you might be uh, vastly misguided <laughs> in any direction you go. And so it's not an option to study and understand our history. And what I have found that when you do it, things just come alive in your soul that you did not know was even there. You know, learning about the, the genius and the beauty of of other people historically helped me to understand the genius and the beauty in myself. And so even like when young people, I always say, I want them to recognize their genius and stop reserving that word for two people in the whole school or the whole world. You know, to love yourself, to know that there were writers like you and you're a part of this history in a lineage because when you know it's in your bloodline you know who you are destined to become you know i i would hear go around and talk to teachers and i would hear them talk about their black students as an example and say that they hate writing i said uh-uh that's not possible it's in their blood they hate reading uh-uh it's not possible i said do you know the history of black readers and writers and they would say no. And I said, then you cannot teach that black child because you have to bring out and nurture and cultivate what's already inside of them. 
And that history is the answer. But if you don't know that history and you don't go back to the archives, how can you fully teach them? And that's what I explain to teachers. And that this is partly an issue with teacher prep programs because some teacher prep programs will have us thinking that you don't need to know black history in order to teach black children. And that is another fallacy. It's another thing that is just simply wrong and incorrect because you might be able to teach them but you're not going to teach them with the level of excellence as if you knew their history. So history is everything. It's the answers, it, it's the, the beauty, it's the explanation to any problem you have. If you wanna know what to do, if you wanna know how to solve a problem, go back to our ancestors. They always teach us. You want schools to be better, what did they do? You know, you wanna know how to love? What is the history of love? I mean, it's just everything, Chris. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. It and really I, is. And what I, I loved in the, the history that's documented within Cultivating Genius, it's also, so I grew up in a, a, a virtually, like, a, it was only two white people in my whole school experience. And the city was virtually, like, all Black. And there was a way in which Black history was, like, held over our heads, so to speak, of, like, and like you just mentioned with genius in terms of, like, there's the level of uh, Rosa Parks. There's the level of Martin Luther King, the, uh, the uh, level of Harriet Tubman. And there's like the, and almost these, um, and the ways they were communicated, impossible examples to live up to. But what I love about Cultivating Genius and the, the context that you bring to this history is that you show it as a, like an accumulation of activities and pursuits that were led by everyday people that created these institutions, which had an overwhelming impact on not just African-American existence, but global existence. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm really thankful for the way that your um, understanding of history, the way you articulate the contributions, of, it still allows us to enter, enter in a way where we can kind of think about the daily activities and the daily choices that we make mm -hmm. and how that contributes to these waves of change that happen mm -hmm. in society. So I'm just thankful for that. Yeah. And you know, the world would tell us that we didn't exist or we weren't genius. And so if we don't, if teachers and educators don't unearth, to unearth something means to dig and find and search <laughs> If we don't do it, we cannot leave it to publishing companies all the time to do it. We cannot leave it to anyone but us. We are the educators. We are the brightest. We have to unearth this history and bring that stuff to the light, to the sun, if you want to uh, you know, use beautiful metaphoric language because you know we're writers and that's what we do. But you gotta find the people, the places, the things, the, the, the types of writings that we did. So, because it's something beautiful when children can see themselves in the pen and in the world, they, it gives them the knowledge that, oh yes, I can do this. It gives them the confidence to say that I can do this. So it's up to us to unearth those things and teach them about the writers, about the, the, the text, the moments, the movements, all these things. Yes, yes, and I want to I want to return to that that amazing uh, statement you made earlier. The world 
was the prompt. Um, and because I, I, um, I, I did use prompt when I was writing these questions, but your reframing of it is, 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 is provocative for me in terms of like thinking of the types of questions or uh, invitations that we give to uh, one another and students in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Chris, your your questions weren't prompts. I had to read them three times. I'm like, these are some serious, beautiful language he's using. These they weren't prompts. You may have been thinking that, but these these were worldly uh, reactions. <laughs> That's what we can call your questions. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Because I this there, there's this how I've been thinking um, about it. I. I realized there are forms of writing or modes of writing that are maybe say more suitable to like responding in the in in the moment, so to speak. Um, and and I, I think about this as in, just in like a functional capacity. You know, we have social media. We have sort of like new like these everyday news um, mm -hmm. in terms of the stories and how we. Are giving context to those stories and, and sharing those with the world and are sort of like more immediate. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's this other form of writing, right? That's more literary, that's more poetic, about working through the the sort of like messiness or coming to put a lens together. And I I I think about the the how how we navigate that uh, those sort of like time scale differences within classrooms in terms of what invitations are we giving to young people to understand what's happening in front of them in this moment? Mm -hmm. And then also, what are the invitations that we're giving so they can think about the longer history or the, the systemic or more institutional um, things that we need to contend with in terms of what it means to you know, really shift the world around us? So I, I would love to hear uh, from you just in thinking of like, what does it mean to reckon with the immediate and the present, but also what are things that we can do to think about the future? I mean, some of that may be all the same. What's the moment? I mean, I read things from the 13th century and it's like it happened yesterday. I mean, writing is timeless. See, one thing I don't want teachers to get caught up is is within bounds, within time, within moments, um, within like a specific language and, and uh, way you have to write. See, that's when you get turned off by writing and, and who wouldn't? That's when adults get turned off by writing. And writing is that thing that has no limitations and, and time and, and boundaries. And you know, um, it's always a, a critical moment though, to critique what's wrong and painful and hurtful and harmful in the world and what's right and joyful and beautiful and happy in the world. I don't care what moment you're living in, every single moment in every week of your classroom, teachers should be asking students to do that. And you know, uh, Alfred Tatum used to ask, uh, what issues warrant the urgency of your pen? And that is such a beautiful question, an important question, because it does not matter um, where you are. That is a now that is a so-called prompt, right? 
um, that that's a reaction, a worldly reaction with your pen, you know, and how can your pen be responsive to the social times, to the historical times, to your own lives and to your own experiences. And sometimes it's just like, what do you want to say to the next generation? You know, when we used to, he used to do like a morning session with black boys. I used to do an afternoon session with black girls, a writing institute. And at the end, we would have them write open letters to the next generation of black boys or black girls or to humanity. And, and it became so like purposeful because they had to look ahead. And so here they were in that moment, looking ahead to future generations. And before you know it, they became adults and graduates and um, where people, younger generations of sister authors and brother authors were reading those letters. And so, you know, when it comes to writing, I have, I, I don't want to have boundaries. What writing isn't creative writing? I remember I struggled with that because in grad school, they were like, academic writing, academic writing. And I'm like, all I know is creative writing. And why can't academic writing be creative? Why can't we open up an academic piece with a poem or something different? And that's what I want young people to know. Stop getting caught up in these walls and, 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 and live your pen openly and freely. Be free with your pen, because that's a beautiful thing. And when I do work with young people in my institutes, we have five goals. And these are the goals in cultivating genius. We seek to, to write in ways to help to make a strong sense of who we are, our identity. How can our pen help us to define our lives? And the second is how can we build the skills of writing, the cadence of writing, understand those different parts of writing. The third is intellectualism. What research do we need to do about the world to write? What new knowledge do we have to bring? The fourth is criticality. How can my writing serve to disrupt, unhinge, disquiet oppression, anti-racism and other types of harm and pain? And the fifth is how can my pen enable and amplify my own joy? And when someone else reads it, the joy of others. And, and if, you, if you serve all five of those pursuits, you got a writing class. <laughs> you got a community of writers right there. Cause something beautiful like flowers, it's going to bloom and something beautiful will emerge. I promise. <laughs> and, oh, that was amazing. And I just, I'm gonna meditate that one, that one for the <laughs> evening. But I should say for my, my, my last question, and kind of bringing that the community of writers. And I, I also look at your work in the, the, the sisterhood and the advocacy and the organizing work that you have been doing over the years as well. And think about the power of community in writing together and writing collectively and organizing collectively as we do with Black Lives Matter at school. Um, and I would love to think, uh, what are what are what are particular strategies or or things that we can be thinking about? Because um, in 2021, we definitely know that we must continue to organize and continue to build community. Um, what are particular strategies that you have found successful 
and ways of inspiring community and collaboration and collective organizing um, through the pen or through other ways of composing, through collective composition. Um, and how can that sort of mold, like get us to think about what's possible when we come together? Yeah, so I mean, it has to start with critical love you know, loving each other as writers, as a community of writers that help to, there's no jealousy, there's no individualism, there's no competition. It is only a, a collectivism and a social responsibility for each other in our writings and our pens. And that's why we called each other sister, author. There was no Dr. Muhammad, Miss Muhammad, I was Miss Muhammad before. You know, it was none of that. It was just sister author and sister, and so when you, when you want for yourself what you want for someone else, that's a beautiful thing. When you live, you have to have that spirit of love and collectivism, number one. It, it cannot be, uh, let me step on you once I get, or uh, let me be so competitive with you because there's only uh, enough shine for, for me or a few people. And I always say the sun was never reserved for a few people. Can you imagine how massive the sun is if it only shined on a few people? You know, and then we use our ancestors as mentors. I mean, we have a history in Black literary traditions of Black people using mentor texts that we call them now. But we would read each other's work and be inspired to write and to, to use each other's work as a brotherhood, as a sisterhood, to build confidence and build ideas and build a world and build change. And so, you know, I don't want us to minimize the purpose of text and that reading, writing, and thinking relationship and using text as mentors. And then, you know, finally, just, I mean, there's so many things, <laughs> but um, critique is a big part. Critique with care, we would always say. And that came from Black literary societies. They documented how they critiqued each other's writing because we, we didn't say, oh, you know, just good effort. Uh, this is good. How can it be great? You know, we always strive toward excellence. We didn't start our stories off with uh, anything but genius. And your genius meant that I had genius. Your triumph meant that I had triumph. And we documented it because we knew that writing is so timeless. And if we do not document our lives, who would? And I, that's what we need to do. And it will make for a, such a beautiful writing space. So that, I think this might be the smoothest transition of the right time ever. Although Tanya and I the both right have time. stuff to say. <laughs> um, what, if, if those of you who just listened to this conversation, um, I know that I will be sitting to write tonight in response to, to the prompt that we had at the beginning to the conversation that we just had. And Christopher, I believe you have one more prompt to close out this conversation. And I wanna give you that platform to be able to do that. Oh, and thank you for helping me by bringing it back to the screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm sitting with so much. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I can't like, what's, what's the, today is January 11th, um, you know, 2021. Um, I wrote these questions at the end of a, a really long week in American mm -hmm. history, as you, as you can say. Um, and it, I think it was important to like reflect on like recent events, 
um, have, have certainly shown us how much the world must change, right? In order to create a world where all of us can thrive and live dignified lives. Yeah. And I think, you know, in spite or despite the terrible and traumatic experience that many of us face, not only through legacies of racial injustice, but we can also talk about economic injustice, the history of, you know, racial capitalism, not just on these lands, but across the world. Um, despite the terrible and traumatic experiences that many of us face, all the while there are seeds of that new world around us that show us a new way of living. Mm. Um, and that we organize ourselves uh, with these visions, we can transform the conditions that are around us. So the question then becomes, right? So what are the seeds in your life that will help you to grow a better world? And I think it's important as I th think and reminisce about the many different names that we share and the legacies of educating and history that we brought to the fore in this conversation, who taught you how to notice those seeds? Mm. Um, I always, I'm someone who loves music and I always think about like, who taught you how to listen? So who taught you how to notice the seeds in your life and where will you go with them from here? And I think kind of just to end it off in a, in a matter of gratitude is also when you think about the people who taught you how to notice the seeds of, of, of social transformation is, is what we're really talking about and where you will go from, from here. How can you offer, offer them a sense of gratitude? How can you lift up their name and the work that you will do moving forward? So where will you go with them from here? What are the seeds in your, in your life that will help you grow a better world? That was my closing prompt. So I, I, I have, I have a tip today that I would like to share with everyone, but I, I really hope that our network shares this interview with their students, no matter what school district you're in, because the opening prompt, uh, the conversation and the closing prompt are, are just so important to kick off 2021. And so here's my takeaway that I wrote. It is our mission to create spaces and places for not erasing, R-A-C-I-N-G, what is possible from young writers. We need culturally and historically responsive classrooms. We need sisterhood, we need brotherhood, and we need our pens to build communities. We need to look back in order to go forward. And here is where I get emotional again. The world is our prompt and you've prompted us all to do better in our teaching practices. What issue isn't the urgency of your pen? <laughs> Since the first time I met you both, the beauty and the genius was obvious. I am beyond thankful to celebrate the two of you on the right time. You make me a better human being, period. Stop getting caught up in these walls. Collectivism, togetherness, Ubuntu, it's all of us being inspired by the brilliance of diversity, inclusivity, and critical love. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, this, there could not have been a better way for us to kick off the right time in 2021. And I'm so thankful to you both, Chris and Goldie, for showing up in such beautiful and genius ways. Uh, we can't thank you enough and your work. We can't say enough about how important your work is. Uh, Brian and I were texting while we were listening and I said, I just have to make it through the hour without crying. And then I said, oh, well, I didn't. <laughs> 
So um, thank you. Thanks for the work that you put out in the world. Thank you for taking time to share it with us today. And thank you for my new catchphrase, Goldie, because I'm going to be asking everybody all the time at the Writing Project, how are we going to show up with our pens? Yes. Thank so. you all for all the work that you do for our communities. This uh, Brian and I have decided this should be required watching for all educators everywhere. And we're going to do our part to do, to do what we can to distribute it to make sure everybody has that opportunity. It's also always my job at the end um, to thank our listeners who are here. Uh, we're so glad to have been able to bring you this opportunity and we hope that you will share it widely and we want to see you again. So if you aren't already in the Writing Project family, please follow us on Twitter at National Writing Project or on Instagram. Join our Facebook community where teachers share ideas and wield their pens together for the common good of young people. Um, or visit nwp.org and at our website, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter, which will tell you about opportunities like this webinar, this conversation uh, that you'll be able to find. So sign up right away. Uh, one last time, Chris and Goldie, I can't imagine two better people to share their genius with us and with the world. And I feel very honored to have been able to open this show in 2021 with the two of you. So thank you so much. Wow, thank you. I'm so grateful and honored to be You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.